And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello everybody, welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 313. We're coming at you. As we always do, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois, where it is springtime, yeah. I think finally we've had our last little bit of snow. We, it's, winter is kind of not letting go quite yet. It's, it's been a little bit snowy, and we, we've had um, snow as recently as last week. And here it is in the middle of April, and we're still... Uh, yeah, kind of clinging on to the Fimblevinter, as it were. But anyway, not a lot going on here at the top of the show. Not a lot of news to report. Avengers is out next week. And from what I've been hearing from people who've already seen it, uh, previews and the like, uh, well, it sounds like it's going to be a good one. So uh, let's hope it's a good one, because I'm certainly looking forward to seeing Thor and company in, in action again. I do worry about, you know, how many characters we have in the in the movie and that nobody is going to really get to shine. But, you know, that's how it is with these big casts. They're probably not going to get much time to shine. Everyone's going to have like a little moment, probably. Yeah, don't don't count on seeing a ton of Thor. Uh, I'm just just saying. Anyway, uh, all right. So uh, we do have an issue of Thor to cover here. So let's go ahead and move along to our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar, you behold in breathless wonder. Indeed, and this week we are covering The Mighty Thor, issue number 394. This issue came out in August of 1988, retailed for 75 cents. Cover art is by Ron Friends and Brett Breeding. The title of the story on the cover is And How Shall Mortals Know Ye? It's kind of a generic cover. Oh, we've got a close-up here of Thor's face, and he's swinging Mjolnir back. Looks like he's doing his Ajax White Tornado bit. We're going to find out why we have such a generic cover in a moment. And we open up on the splash page where we have the credits. Prologue, which is pages one through three, are by Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, and Brett Breeding. That should tell you something right there. Yes, it's a fill-in issue. We have a little bit of a framing sequence, but other than that, uh, the story is by Roger Stern. Bob Hall is the penciler. Tony DeZuniga is the inker, Diana Albers is the letterer, George Russos is the colorist, and Ralph Macchio is the editor. Yes, uh, must, apparently the dreaded deadline doom struck, or maybe they just had an inventory story in, in the drawer and they were really afraid they weren't going to be able to use it anytime soon, so they just had to use it while they could. We have a very uh, Pieta-ish sort of scene at the very beginning where they are fishing Hogan the Grim out of the river. Uh, Daredevil is there along with the uh, armored SWAT police that we saw last issue. And a couple of these SWAT police people are hauling Hogan up into a, uh, a large wooden dock. 
A mere minutes ago, a desperate SWAT fired upon an enraged and disoriented Asgardian, Hogan the Grim, whose scrambled senses were causing him to run amuck in New York City. And now... And uh, the, the uh, cops are going, We didn't want to shoot, but he gave us no choice. We couldn't just let him escape. He was endangering innocent lives. And Daredevil is um, thinking to himself, Oh no, my hyper senses can't detect a heartbeat. He's stopped breathing, Daredevil says. Hurry, we've got to try to revive him. CPR is his only hope. I'll try to get his circulation going and you work on his breathing. Right, says the cop. So we have uh, Daredevil doing CPR on, on Hogan the Grim, and he's um, doing CPR with Hogan fully dressed, but uh, he, he's thinking to himself, this should be performed on a bare chest, but my super sensitive fingers can easily find the correct spot to apply chest compression. Oh, convenient. You know, it still would be better if they took off his armor. <laughs> Just saying. Anyway, uh, they're, they're doing their, uh, their shtick, and um, after a moment, Daredevil is thinking to himself, We did it. We managed to save him for the moment. But his life is still hanging by a thread. He claimed to be searching for the mighty Thor. But why? Who is this man? And where did he come from? And the police are loading Hogan into an uh, ambulance. And we shift scenes to Asgard. And uh, the vizier is very solemnly pronouncing... Uh, there can be no doubt, my lord. Hogan the Grim is dead. Yon flame was tied to his life force and could only have gone out if he had stopped breathing. Tis my fault, says Balder. My responsibility. I never should have sent him to Midgard. You had no choice, noble Balder, says Fendril. Asgard is being invaded by savage enemies, says Volstagg. Someone had to seek out the God of Thunder. Hogan knew the risks he was taking, says Fendril. Aye, but Hogan is dead, and Thor is still missing. Where is he? What hath become of the son of Odin? And we shift to Earth, and we see what looks like Thor, but it's wearing a different outfit. Interesting. Uh, we don't see him very well either, but it looks like he's bearded, and it looks like he's wearing the Simonson armor from the end of his run. And uh, he's standing up on a rock, and there's lightning striking down, and he's saying, uh, Surrender, villains! None can escape the righteous wrath of Thor the Avenger. We then uh, ha hear somebody yell, Cut! That's it for today. You can pull Dave out of the suit. We, we see that it is, in fact, a movie set, and this actor, Dave... Um, and he's uh, he's actually pretending to be Thor. And again, they're they're they've got him dressed in that Simonson armor from the end of the Simonson run, which makes me think that this uh, fill-in story was meant to be slotted in there somewhere during the time when Simonson was on the book. So they had to uh, use it before it was too late. Um, and the actor playing Thor says, "Hooray, Dave of Santa Monica! Thanks, the noble director." And there's a, a guy here, a red-haired guy with glasses, or a writer type. Looks a little bit like Roy Thomas. Uh, he's uh, going to the director, and he says, Felix, Felix, we have to talk. And uh, we see the, the, there's a bunch of people trying to um, uh, get this actor out of the Thor armor. And I guess it's like a, 
I mean, it's like a robot or something because the, the, the actor actually climbs into the armor. So they're, they're getting the actor out of the armor. One of the crew is saying, how hot does it get in there, Dave? Too hot, he says. And the uh, director is saying, uh, afternoon, Simon. The new suit's testing out fine. We should have all the effects down pat by the time you're ready to go into production. It looks terrific, Felix, but it's not the look we want now. This just arrived from New York. Oh, no, you don't mean the beard and the armor have to go. And <laughs> um, that seems very fickle, but okay. Anyway, the director is singing himself uh, curse words. Uh, and he's, it was easier to fake with all the armor. With all that exposed flesh, we'll have to start all over again. Of course, I just need to throw in a comment here, and that is in the 80s, all the effects were mostly practical. CG didn't exist then, so that it makes sense. And the writer guy is like, come on, Maddie. Felix won't be pleasant company for a while. Understandable. After all the work he's done already. Quite a display, wasn't it? Tell me, Maddie, what did you think of the screenplay I sent you? Well, the effects were more impressive. You're being charitable. This picture needs a meteor story. I don't want Thor the Avenger to be just another special effects movie. And it needs more human interest. You're good at that, Maddie. That's why I want you to do the rewrite. You flatter me, Mr. Anderson. Not at all. Your work is first rate. Look, you can scrap the screenplay and start over if you want. There's just one drawback. I need a workable script by the end of next month. The studio's sunk so many megabucks into this project and the accountants are getting restless. They want results. Soon. Can I count on you? Well, I... Sure. Fantastic. My office will supply you with anything you need. Don't let me down, babe. And we see that uh, this Maddie, she's got she's got a very 80s hairdo. It's a sort of like, uh, who's that artist who did all those uh, very slick paintings of women mostly, like uh, on the Duran Duran cover? Can't remember the name offhand. I'll probably think of it after the show is published. But anyway, that's, that's kind of how it works with me. Anyway, she's thinking to herself, what have I gotten myself into? And how do you get human interest into a story about a superhero who's purportedly a god? Well, we know the answer to that now, don't we? And we see her in a library looking at newspapers and watching videos and stuff. These accounts of Thor's exploits are astounding. Wives saved, battles fought, but they don't tell half the story. Here's, there's a lot about what he's done, but nothing about what he's like. Felix should find a way to use this news footage. Incredible. He makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look like Michael J. Fox. None of Thor's Avengers buddies will talk to me, but what if I can find enough eyewitnesses? And the uh, and Maddie calls uh, the police department. She's like, hello, is this the New York Police Information Office? My name is Madeline Arnstein, and I'm calling from Los Angeles. And we next see her. She's on an airplane, and she's, I guess, working on her script or whatever. She's thinking to herself, okay, that's a half dozen firm commitments for interviews in the New York City area and leads on another four or five. Thor's been spotted most often by people back east. Surely one of them could give me an inkling of the kind of person Thor is. And we shift scenes and Maddie is at a hospital because, you know, Thor spends a lot of time in hospitals. I wonder why that is. So anyway, um... She uh, she's talking to this uh, doctor, this bald-headed guy with glasses and a little mustache. So, Doctor Graham, 
I understand that you were one of the first people to see Thor down in South America? That's correct, Miss Arnstein. There was a nasty situation in San Diablo. Two political factions were fighting for power. The Soviets supported one side, our government backed the other. A lot of people were getting killed and a number of doctors and nurses from here in the city volunteered to help. We were en route when it happened. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. We were clearly marked as a hospital ship, but that didn't keep us from drawing fire. I can still hear the roar of those jets as they attacked. But next, the moment where there was another sound, like a sharp clap of thunder. And uh, the guy, he's showing the doctor on the, on the uh, ship, and he's going, what the devil is that? He looked like a man, but I've never seen a man who can straddle a jet or smash it in one blow. He seemed to hang there, thousands of feet in midair, held up by that whirling hammer as he ripped into those planes something like a concentrated cyclone. In a matter of minutes, he downed every last jet and somehow did it without injuring a single pilot. And then he just disappeared. It wasn't until later that we heard him call himself Thor. That was after we'd reached the interior of San Diablo. And uh, if you are thinking the story sounds familiar, it is very early in the journey in the mystery run. We're getting a very uh, sketchy recap of it. We were attempting to set up a temporary clinic. One of the rebel leaders didn't want us there, and he had tanks. I think the, the name of the guy was the demon or the devil. Remember that? Anyway, once again, out of nowhere, we had the protection of Thor. And we have a little scene here of Thor being a tree murderer, using a, a tree to uh, flip over the tank and, uh, and wreck them both. And uh, <laughs> the, the nurse is saying, my God, he used that tree as a lever to fling one tank on the other. He tore into those tanks as easily as he had the jets. Unfortunately, in all the confusion, one of our party, a nurse practitioner named Jane Foster, fell into rebel hands. And we have Thor confronting this uh, demon character, because this, this happened. The demon is like, You'll fight with the strength of a dozen demons, but even you cannot keep us from holding the woman. Leave at once or she dies, says one of the soldiers. He left just like that, says Maddie. But I'd read that Thor had helped to end that war. He did, indirectly, but not before he and one of our doctors had rescued Foster. I'm not sure of the details. And then there's a, a neat, 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 neat sound. And the doctor's like, oops, my beeper. Afraid I have to run, Miss Arnstein, but there's any way I can help you more. Thanks, doctor. I'll be in touch. And uh, she's thinking to herself, Jane Foster. I came across her name in my readings. I'll have to see about tracking her down. But first, I have another appointment downtown. And there uh, is a shift of scene. And this Maddie woman is at a police station. And uh, it's one of these uh, neighborhood uh, police stations in New York. And uh, she's uh, talking to the cops. That's right, ma'am, I was there. The absorbent man must have been ten stories tall, but Thor wouldn't give up. He just kept hammering away at the big creep. Big? I bet he wasn't as big as the dragon old Goldilocks fought up in the Bronx. Tell all boys I have plenty of cassettes. Huh, <laughs> that'll be a waste of tape. And uh, there's a, one cop is sitting in the back and he's smoking a cigar so you know he's evil. And he's got the thing over, he's got his cap down, pulled over his eyes, so he looks sketchy. Oh, I take it you don't think much of Thor. Yeah, you might say that. 
Granted, the long-haired jerk's done a lot of good for the city, but he's not as all-fired noble as some folks say. I remember one time I was still pounding a beat on the east side. He came stomping down the street just like he owned it and haven't helped anything that got in his way. At first, he ignored the rubberneckers who stopped and stared. And we see uh, Thor walking down the street and he's like smashing down light poles and stuff as he passes, which um, I don't remember that, but okay, <laughs> maybe it happened. Or maybe this was when Loki was pretending to be Thor. I think maybe that's... Uh, uh, or maybe an Avengers issue or something. I'm not any, I'm sure. But anyway, um, uh, Thor's in the street and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of cars. And one of these cars looks like a really old, like a Model T or something. That, uh, maybe this artist just couldn't draw cars very well. But anyway, um, uh, Thor is uh, yelling, Away, all of you! Let none intrude upon Thor. Mortals, how like chattering monkeys you are. Always gathering about those who want to be alone. Well, Thor has had enough of you. I have lost interest in your puny, penny lives. And there's uh, the, the old-timey car kind of driving up and, and uh, he's screaming, Hey, fancy pants, watch out! I can't stop! And he hits Thor with his car and Thor just basically swings his hammer and tears off the entire front of his car. And Thor says, Thor watches out for no one. And the cop is narrating here. Nobody can talk to him. Not even his Avengers pals. And we have uh, Giant Man and the Wasp and Iron Man. And Giant Man is saying, Thor, listen, this is Giant Man. Because they have to tell the audience who he is. You can't roam around the city that way, trampling on anything that gets in your way. Tell us what's wrong, partner. We want to help you, says Iron Man. No one can help me, Iron Man. What I have to do must be done alone. Where I have to go, none can accompany me. Leave me. This is no concern of yours. I say go. I don't know what his problem was, and I don't care. Nobody's got the right to act the way he did. The city fathers may make him out to be a hero, but to me, he'll always just be one more big, strong jerk. And we shift scenes once again, and uh, Maddie is walking through the park with a young couple with their dog, there's a guy here, and he's feeding pigeons on a bench, and there's like a little bridge, and yeah, basically kind of Central Park looking place. And uh, they're talking to um, the reporter. Yes, Miss Arnstein, Diane and I were sitting on that bench when we met Thor. What was it, honey? About five years ago? Longer than that, dear. We've been married nearly six years now. That's right. We've been going together six weeks at that time. More like three months, actually. It happened on a gorgeous spring day. A Thursday, as I recall, we were discussing plans for the weekend when we saw him. We'd read stories about Thor, of course, but neither of us had seen him until that moment. His voice must have carried for blocks. And Thor is carrying a uh, bundle of flowers in, in his hand, and he's shouting, She loves me. She will be mine. Somehow, someway, I'll win her. I'm in love. Even as you are, and he's talking to the, the uh, people on the bench, and uh, he throws uh, the flowers he's holding to the woman, and shouts out, "Do you hear? Thor is in love!" And he goes flying off uh, in kind of a loopy way, all giddy, and uh, the guy is saying, uh, "Wow, is it that obvious? Maybe, Diane, do you? Uh, would you?" And she's like, "Marry you?" In a minute. 
If not for Thor, it might have been months before I got up the nerve to propose. He used to be so shy. What a sweet story, says Maddie. You know, I never would have guessed that you two had been married so long. You still look like newlyweds. Thank you. I hope we've been of some help. You've been a great help, really. And we have uh, another scene shift here, and Maddie is talking to a uh, um, a chef or a cook or a short order cook in that diner. And uh, he's like, Do I have a story to tell about, Thor? I'll say I do. I was just bussing tables in those days. Now I own the place, me and the bank, that is. Uh-huh. About Thor. Oh, yeah. There was this nurse he must have been sweet on, Jane something. Jane Foster? Yeah, that was the name. Anyways, while Thor was out of town, she and one of his old buddies came in here, and and it's uh, Hercules and Jane sitting at the table, and uh, Hercules is saying, um, Ah, this liquid is like nectar of the gods, as he's drinking a shake or something, and uh, Thor's like, Jane, I have returned. <laughs> the, the dialogue is not really much, is it? We'll talk about that at the end. And uh, Jane is like, really? I forgot you had been away. It was clear that Blondie wasn't at all happy. Stand aside, Hercules, says Thor. It is not with you I wish to speak. None may raise voice to a female whom Hercules looks upon with favor. And one thing led to another, and, and so the two of them are fighting, and they smash through the window of the uh, the diner, and they're fighting in the street. I don't remember the story, but it must have happened, and I probably covered it. Anyway, um, the two of them are fighting, and Thor says, Not even a son of Zeus may strike Thor with impunity. Your overbearing conceit is a standing joke in Olympus, Thunder God, but now I'll rid you of it forever. The woman deserves better than such a vain, humorless dullard as thee. Dim-witted clod, says Thor, if I be humorless, it be not without good reason. For months the powers of Asgard and Earth have conspired to keep me from my beloved. But no longer do I endure fate in stony silence. Now the son of Odin strikes back. And the two of them grab, uh, looks like a, a couple of trucks. Uh, I... It looks like two trucks. I'm not really sure. It could just be one of those trucks that has like a uh, an extra trailer on it and they kind of in the middle. But anyway, it doesn't matter because they're destroying it completely. Uh, Hercules is at the front and Thor's at the back and they're just kind of all pushing it together and making it all into scrap. And um, Hercules is saying, Be thou warned, son of Asgard, now that the full measure of thy strength is revealed, I hunger for more battle. For nothing pleases the heart of Hercules so much as a foe who can offer a challenge to my matchless power. And the two of them are, are you know, like I said, they're kind of destroying this truck together. And uh, Hercules is like, ha, how puny are the products of mere mortals. How they shatter and crumble before the might of Hercules. I didn't see any more, the guy says in the diner. But I heard that in addition to the diner's damage and that wrecked semi-rig, they trashed 50 feet in the city street, a subway station, and a couple of bulldozers. Man, I don't want those guys that are mad at me. And they shift scenes again. And it says much later at a fashionable midtown hotel. And she is uh, going into a room where uh, uh, she's thinking to herself, What a week. I still haven't shaken my jet lag. And, and there's a guy sitting in her room smoking a cigarette. This is kind of this uh, brown-haired guy with glasses. He's got a little mustache as well. 
And it's one of our people who we've met before. Remember Harris Hobbs? He was the uh, the journalist that Thor took to Asgard, if you remember. Uh, that was a long time ago. Anyway, uh, Maddie is like, what the? How did you get in my room? So we have a little bit of a little swearing there. Trade secret, sister. Take it easy. I'm not a pervert or a terrorist. You might say I'm a colleague. The name is Hobbs. Harris Hobbs? Oh, yes. You're the ex-newsman who tried to sucker the networks with the phony travelogue of Thor's hometown. Hey, that project was legit. I just can't prove it. Look, I heard you were looking up people who'd met the Thunder God, so... All right, Hobbs. Tell me your story and I'll try not to laugh. That's cold, Arnstein, but maybe I deserve it. Back when I was still with the wire services, I used to stoop for anything to get a story. That was before I met Thor. Don't ask me how, but I persuaded Thor to let me into this home of the gods he'd claimed to be from. Prepare for wonders without end, mortal, for I take you now to Asgard. And he does his Ajax White Tornado bit, and it's a scene that we've seen before. He swung his hammer faster and faster. It was like being in the eye of a hurricane, except for our own voices, there was utter silence. And when those swirling mists cleared, such such beauty. No words I could come up with will ever adequately describe that moment. Well, he said such beauty, but anyway. <laughs> it was like suddenly finding yourself in the center of the universe. Part of me had always doubted that the Avenger was really the Thor out of myth, but not after I saw Asgard. Walk you now at my side, mortal, with slow and measured tread. We crossed that impossible rainbow bridge unchallenged by any guardians, and that seemed to put Thor on edge. I was too numb to be frightened until we reached the heart of the city. There, Crusher Creel, the criminal absorbing man, was battling Odin, the king of the gods himself. And Thor's like, Father, beware. Whatever he touches, that very thing he becomes, that very strength does he take unto himself. Thor's warning came too late. Creel had already absorbed the cosmic force Odin had used against him. I remember a horrific explosion. And then... Nothing. Yeah, we see the uh, explosion of uh, Absorbing Man, and um, it, uh, uh, we shift scenes again a little bit later, and uh, Hobbes says, The next thing I knew, the Absorbing Man was gone, and I was picking myself out of the rubble. What happened? My, my camera! Oh, no, no! The chance of a lifetime, and I flubbed it! So, no evidence... No story. And no memory. Thor used some sort of Asgardian magic to make me forget what I'd seen. For the sake of my sanity, he claimed. But sometimes images of what I'd seen come to me in my dreams. And in time, those dreams became nightmares that drove me to the psychiatrist's couch. Several sessions of hypnotherapy restored my memory and gave me an idea for the media event of the century. And we show Hobbes is uh, talking to Thor... The first TV special shout on location in Asgard. You gotta do this for me, Thor. My career depends on it. Such is not mine to grant, Hobbs. I can but speak to all Father Odin. It looked like there was no hope till this derelict melted out of the woodwork and offered his help. Come on, man. Nobody on Earth could possibly help me. Nobody but Thor. And it's a mysterious character... And uh, it says, uh, I can, mortal, 
Behold now my true form. And of course it's Loki and he bursts out of the suit and he's wearing his full armor, the big old horns. Somehow he was hiding underneath a fedora. <laughs> he goes, uh, I am Loki Laufison, brother of Thor and god of mischief. Assemble your fellow workers before me. I will find you transport to eternal Asgard. And uh, we, we got this uh, story basically being retold in a, in a panel here. I know it was crazy to trust Loki, but I was desperate. I got hold of my cameraman, Red Norvell, and called up Joey Burnett to handle sound and promised both of them the chance of a lifetime. I was surely right on that score. Loki hid us inside some big doomsday machine that Thor was taken to Asgard for safekeeping. And once we arrived, and the, the wall collapses and the three of them fall out in front of uh, Thor and the Warriors 3 and Balder. And Thor's like, by Odin's beard, Hobbs. And Hobbs like, uh, hi there, Thor, old buddy. The Asgardians weren't at all pleased by our presence, but they were soon too busy to worry about it. It seems Loki had set things in motion to bring about the long-prophesied day of Ragnarok. Now, this is a an issue that we haven't covered yet. So uh, we have this uh, Red Norvell character, and he's he's staring after Sif. He's all mooning after Sif. And he, he's this uh, red-haired guy with a beard, and he's he's like the cameraman. Yeah, Hobbs is saying, understand, we're talking end of the world. I didn't know if Thor's buddies could beat that, but I figured we might as well film it. What I hadn't figured on was Red falling for Thor's lady, Sif, like a ton of bricks. Unfortunately, Loki had. And we have uh, a, a pair of gauntlets and a fire, and Loki is goading Red Norvell on. He's like, step into the fire of Geroda if you would win the love of the lady, Sif. Sif, yes, yes, I've got to do it. And he reaches out for these gauntlets, and he puts them on, and he... Uh, he puts on the belt of strength as well, and basically he becomes Thor. Loki's magic did something to Red in those flames. He put on Thor's iron gloves and his belt of strength, and, well, he became the real Thor, God of Thunder. And um, he shows the battle here between Thor and uh, Red Norvell, and he says, You've got something that belongs to me now. And uh, it says all the power in Red had made him as strong as Thor, but it also drove him crazy, and the two of them are fighting each other, and he's like, I've got to kill you, or you'll kill me sooner or later. It seemed impossible, but he had the Avenger on the ropes and was about to fry him when, You can't kill him, Red. I won't let you. I... And it's uh, Joey, the sound man. He gets blasted by, uh, by Red using uh, Mjolnir, and it says, Joey never had a chance. Everything after that is pretty much a blur. I remember standing alone on the edge of the city, manning a camera, as Thor led the warriors of Asgard into what seemed to be their final battle. That's right. I was taping the end of the world. Don't ask me who I was taping it for. Lord, I must have been as crazy as Red by that point. Somehow, though, Red must have gotten it back together. He sacrificed his power and his life to save the others. The threat of Ragnarok was ended. But at such cost, my friends were dead. Then we shift back to the uh, hotel room and, and uh, Hobbs is saying, My career was over. All I had to show for the whole mess was a handful of garbled tapes. Just enough evidence to save me from a murder indictment. What's your game, Hobbs? Do you want a consultancy position on the movie? Is that it? Are you crazy? 
Haven't you heard a word I said? Listen, Thor, the Asgardians, they're bad news. I don't want anything more to do with them. And neither should you if you're smart. No story, no screenplay is worth your life and your sanity, Arnstein. Take it from a fellow who's been there. And he leaves the uh, hotel room and closes the door. So she's thinking to herself, I could almost believe that crazy story. Everyone's given me a different view of the God of Thunder. He's still such a mystery. But I'm not about to give up yet. Not without going after the most important interview. And uh, we have her going to Highland Park, Illinois. Not very far from here, as a matter of fact. She uh, is showing up on the doorstep of uh, one Jane Kincaid, a.k.a. Ms. Foster. Anyway, she it's raining out, and she uh, goes to the house, and she's thinking, this must be the place. Certainly looks like a doctor's house. And Jane answers, and she's got the baby. So remember, yeah, Jane and uh, Kincaid had a, a baby at, at some point. Miss Foster, Kincaid, I'm Maddie Arnstein. We spoke briefly on the phone yesterday. Oh, yes. Won't you come in? What sort of article did you say you're researching, Miss Arnstein? It's Maddie, and I didn't, Miss... May I call you Jane? Actually, I'm working on the screenplay for a motion picture. Really? About the medical profession or parenting or... I won't beat around the bush, Jane. I'm writing a movie about Thor. Thor? The superhero? I'm not sure. I'm sure I don't know how I could help you. Jane, I've been interviewing people for the last week and a half, and your name has come up again and again. I know that you once had some kind of relationship with Thor. Tell me, what was it like to be loved by a god? I beg your pardon, Miss Arnstein. Whether or not I knew Thor and whether or not we had a relationship is none of our business. I invited you into my home under the impression that I was helping a young writer, and I will not sit still and allow anyone to pry into my personal life. Jane, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come here under false pretenses, but you have to understand how much this could mean to me. I've been grinding out soaps and miniseries for five years. This movie gig is the break I've been looking for, and you could help me so much. I want to portray Thor as accurately and as truthfully as I can. I have a lot of facts and figures, and I've unearthed some intriguing personal observations. But I've yet to find the heart of the man or God, or whatever he is. Maddie, I don't like to betray confidences, and I have no desire to see part of my life up on the screen. You wouldn't, I promise. Everything will be fictionalized. What I'm looking for is an essence. Oh, please, you must help me. I know that you and your old boss, Donald Blake, were both confidants of Thor, but Blake went off on some government mission and hasn't been seen since. You're my last hope. Well, it seems like ages since I worked with Don Blake. I don't remember much that would be of use to you. But there was a time when I entered his office and found... Thor, what are you doing here? And this is a, from a very early issue uh, of, of Journey to Mystery. I... He seemed as surprised to see me as I him. I came to find Blake. I've been told he tried to betray me to two of my foes. Where is he? Speak, woman. I don't know. He must have left by his private door. He's not here. But Thor, I'm sure he meant no harm. After all, he's only human. As it turned out, I was right. Dr. Blake had intended only to help Thor, 
It was all a misunderstanding. As you've learned, Don was very close to Thor, and as his nurse, I got to know Thor as well. But knowing Thor carried certain dangers, he has many enemies, and sometimes they would strike at him through Don or me. And we have a, a scene here of uh, the executioner uh, kind of grabbing and, and kidnapping Thor. I believe that's the executioner's first appearance, and uh, he reaches out and says, Jane Foster, I have found you. There was a renegade Asgardian warrior called the Executioner. I don't know what it would have become of me if not for Thor. And another time, Thor saved my life when I was injured by a trap set for him by the Cobra and Mr. Hyde. I, I did fall in love with Thor. After going through all that, who wouldn't? What surprised me was his reaction. And we have a scene of uh, Jane in bed and Thor standing above her and he says... Uh, "'Tis an immortal of Asgard whom you love, Jane Foster, "'and who truly loves you as well.'" Being Thor's friend was risky enough. Loving him was even harder. I don't know how many times I saw him stand by and take a beating at the hands of some monstrous creature. And we have a, a scene of him fighting the man-beast, if you recall the man-beast. It was such an awful, helpless feeling, and all I could do was stand by and watch. Finally, the day came when Thor declared that he would take me to Asgard to face Odin and be married before all of the gods. But the marriage never came off. I just wasn't cut out to be the wife of a god. Life with Thor would have been difficult enough on Earth. On Asgard, I don't even want to think about it. That's it. That's the angle I've been looking for. Oh, Jane, 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 bless you. You've given me my story. Just a minute. You said that you'd leave me out of this. And I meant it. No one even remotely like you will be in my script. You may be the reality, dear, but today's audience wants something realer than real. You'll see. I'll send you a copy of the screenplay. Thanks for everything. And she's leaving and she passes Dr. Kincaid as he's coming in. And uh, she's like, oh, hi. You must be Dr. Kincaid, right? Your wife is one in a million, Doc. Uh, yes, I know, says the doctor, and he comes in the house, and uh, Jane is in there attending to the baby, and he's like, honey, who was that? Well, that's not easy to explain. I just hope she's as sincere as she seemed. And we shift scenes, and it says, uh, it says, ten hours later, back in Los Angeles, Thor the Avenger, she's thinking, the story of an immortal hero and the mortal woman he dared to love. Now, what's she like? I don't want to make her a nurse. Maybe a lawyer? No, she may be more of a partner. A cop? Yeah, policewoman Kelly something or other. O'Malley? Brewster? Jefferson? Hernandez? Sure, why not? Kelly Hernandez, a five-year veteran of the force. Tough yet caring, hard as nails, but easy on the eyes. And we have a scene here of her tracking down some villains and they're shooting at her and she's hiding behind a, a very out-of-proportion door. We'll talk about that in a little bit, too. And uh, Thor comes swooping down and he says, Stay down, officer, by the might of my hammer. No innocent shall know harm. And the bullets are bouncing off his uh, hammer with pwing, pwing, pwing. And she's like, Thanks for the backup, big man. This one's all mine. It, it's just coincidence that she looks like uh, the writer here. <laughs> um, and they, they're driving off the bad guys, and uh, she tackles one of them and says, You're not losing me, creep. 
and uh, he knocks the guy down and catches the money and arrests him. And uh, she says, If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided you. Oh, Thor, I'm glad you stuck around. I wanted to save you for saving my skin. "'Twas my pleasure, milady. "'Tis a shame that such beautiful skin must know danger. "'Hey, life is tough, and then you die, you know.' "'No, my dear, I do not.' "'Really?' "'Aye.' "'Scene 16, Thor and Kelly lead the assault on the terrorist stronghold, "'and she's dressed in some kind of weird black widow-ish superhero outfit, "'and uh, she's got a machine gun, and she's shooting at these uh, terrorists, "'and... Uh, Thor's there, too, and he's blasting him with his hammer, and uh, he says, Stand away, Kelly. I will not see you in danger again. Then don't look. We've searched too long for these murderers. I won't turn back now. Scene 23, The Trolls Attack. You are ours, Thunder God, says Trolls, and she's, she's there in the same outfit. You and your mortal woman shall both know the icy touch of death. They're fighting him together, and Thor's like, Craven creature, do your worst. Ne'er shall we surrender. Uh, we have scene 26, where the two of them are smooching. And all of my centuries of life, never have I known such a love. My heart is yours, Kelly Hernandez. And we have uh, scene 30, where he's taking her off, flying off somewhere, and he says, My heart fair bursts with joy, Kelly. That's the fifth time you've said that since you picked me up. What's going on, Thor? What's the big surprise? All Father Odin has granted his blessing to our love. By his command, I now finally take you to Asgard. There we shall dwell together as immortals until the end of time itself. You mean leave the world? Thor, I don't know about this. You are troubled? We had often spoke of marriage. Yes, but I hadn't realized it would mean leaving my world. This is where I was born, Thor. To me, Asgard is just a place where your family and your enemies come from. My work and my family are here. I don't think I can leave them behind to grow old and die while I lived on in some strange other world. I can't go with you. And we see her crying as Thor goes flying off. And we shift back to Maddie at her uh, computer. Because I, I guess this is still early enough to be computerized. I, I half expected to see a typewriter. But anyway... Um, she's like, yeah, now that's a story. We have Maddie, and she's going back to visiting the um, the writer. Remember the writer from the beginning of the story? And uh, he's like, uh, Maddie, come in, sit down. Don't keep me in suspense. What did you think of it? Kiddo, you are going to go far in this business. This is the single best screenplay I've ever read. It has everything. Action, intrigue, glamour, adventure, romance. Uh-huh, but you'd like a few changes made, right? Not at all. What? You're going with my first draft? No, there's been a slight change of plans. The studio's legal staff has decided that, public figure or not, we can't do a movie about a superhero if he looks too close to the real thing. Oi, Gavalt, says Maddie. Hey, don't be down. We'll still pay you for the screenplay. Everybody loved it. In fact... We'd like you to work on our new version of the project. The studio wants to pitch Thor as a new Saturday morning cartoon series. And she, he holds up a picture of uh, Thor as a dog. And he's, he's got, you know, like old dog ears on his helmet instead of wings. And it's, it's basically Thor as a dog. 
See, he's a dog. Isn't that cute? And Maddie is thinking to herself, uh, I could go back to school. I could join the Navy. I could wake up and discover it was all a nightmare. Verily the end. And thankfully, that is the end of Thor number 394. We'll be talking about what we thought about this fill-in issue right after this message. The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, in which four guys talk about romance comics and about romances in comics with Siskoid. We're all uh, French Canadians here. Marty! In horror comics, there's often like this little, you know, <laughs> romance tinge, I guess. Okay. Bass. <laughs> we oh, just yeah. turned on him! <laughs> and yours truly, Fern. I'm very aroused. Featuring the overproduced wonder that is Romance Comics Theater every episode. Dan, I knew it couldn't last from the first day you eyeballed me when I reported to work. It wouldn't matter if I washed in laundry soap and came to work in a burlap sack. I'd turn you on. And you have the same effect on me. I... I do? The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, available on iTunes. We've had a comic book And we're back. And of course, we have a few things to say about the issue, as we always do. Fill-in stories, well... They're kind of a mixed bag, aren't they? Yeah, we've had some in the past, and sometimes they've been okay, and sometimes they've been a steaming pile of crap, much like this one. Yeah, this is a pretty shitty story, folks, and I I think that, uh, you know, if they're going to do kind of a clip show kind of format, they chose a kind of a weak way to do it. You know, we have this character of Maddie Arnstein. Nobody gives a shit about her. She's not an interesting character. She's just kind of intrusive and bothers people. We have some people who are, you know, happy to share their story with her. And then she comes across as kind of, you know, pushy uh, to, to a lot of people, and particularly to Jane. And, and you know, as much as I dislike Jane, I mean, Jane was kind of right to smack her down. I mean, you know, she's going around trying to find out what Thor is really like. I mean, that's fine. Um, the script is awful. I mean, they're saying, oh, it's the best screenplay I've ever seen. Yeah, bullshit. You've got a Mary Sue character. Uh, is, is kind of is meant to be the writer herself. Cypher of the worst kind. And um, they're going around fighting these random threats. This would not be a good movie. It really wouldn't. I mean, how do you hold this all together? There's no seemingly no plot. They're just kind of taking little plot points from, you know, I I don't think that this would work as a movie at all, even the the kind of sketches that we get. But, um, yeah, even as a comic story, it's not very good. I would say that the, uh, the dialogue is very basic, and basically is kind of right on the nose. It's just basically, I'll be honest, it reads like a, a fanfic. And that's kind of not what, what you want to pay 75 cents for back in the day. One of my issues with the story is that they have these flashbacks, the stories of Thor in the past, but they never reference where these took place. Most of them, if not all of them, are past issues of this book. So they could have very easily put in some sort of a, a footnote or something. I mean, what if somebody wants to go find out about the story about Red Norville? I mean, I understand that back issues are not the bread and butter of Marvel. They don't make any money off them. But 
at least tell us where these stories appeared. I mean, for gosh sakes, I mean, even Stan did that back in the 60s. Um, Bob Hall's artwork is okay. It, it's nothing to write home about. It has a very Don Heck sort of look, including that sort of Don Heck stiffness. A lot of this issue really takes place in people's houses and in diners and and the police station, all that kind of thing, which makes it even more weird that a lot of the backgrounds are just not there. Um, we do have some backgrounds here in the in Jane Foster's house, but anything that takes place in Asgard, nothing. It, it's pretty much, uh, you have one shot of the city of Asgard on, uh, I believe it's page 14, and then basically you have blank backgrounds for that whole segment it's uh yeah not majorly good uh i would say pretty poor actually they do you know bring up some characters that you know we haven't seen like harris hobbs and that's a character that you know we've seen once i think in in this uh in this show and then there's a story from the 70s that we haven't seen yet um where which they uh summarize in this issue um, it'll it'll be better than this, I, I promise you. Um, but the, the summary was just not that good. Um, the dialogue, and especially the dialogue of Thor, very out of character, very, uh, very basic. Hercules is kind of close to character. I'd say that that probably was the uh, the one character that seemed to be uh, accurately portrayed as far as that goes. So, yeah, I don't think much about this villain issue. We do have you know, a continuation of the actual story next time, and we're going to be covering actually up through Thor number 400 uh, here in the uh, 80s. So we do have about uh, six issues to go um, on this, or five issues to go on this, including a mythology episode in a couple weeks. So, uh, yeah, so that's our plans for the next few weeks. Uh, sorry about the crappy fill-in, but it's a crappy fill-in. We wanted to cover it anyway. At least it's not a reprint. <laughs> um, the artwork and the writing on the uh, framing sequence, and it's not really a framing sequence because it's just the first three pages, is actually okay. You know, it is kind of your typical uh, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends. Daredevil still looks good. I think uh, Ron Friends draws a really good Daredevil. Hogan looks pretty good, uh, even though he's dead for, for pretty much the whole thing. Uh, they again, they they make him much larger than the humans, which makes sense. But yeah, the CPR through his armor, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't care how sensitive your sense of touch is; it, it doesn't work. All right. Uh, so with that, uh, it is time to wrap up the show. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And if you want to email the show, you can do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also join us over on Facebook. Just look for us there, and you will find us. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. 
Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.